Thank you for listening to this podcast episode from Bose Church. We pray this message blesses and encourages you. If you don't belong to a local church, we would love to see you on Sunday morning. Our scripture today is Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now it is time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord gave, uh, forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message of Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as representatives of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. As we head into the new year, I want us to stop and take a moment to think about the busyness of the holiday season we just came out of whether it was going to Christmas parties or maybe it was a whole bunch of Christmas shopping. Maybe it was spending time with friends and family on New Year's Eve. Most of us, it's safe to say, probably had a jam-packed December. Now, Kate and I last month had a, a night where we thought we were going to be sneaky smart and avoid all of the Christmas shopping crowd. So we placed an online order at Target. So the plan was, was that she would place the online order I would head to the gym that was in the same plaza, and then once I was done, I could go then and pick up the online order. Great plan, right? So I go to the gym, get a good workout in, and I text Caitlin, and I say, hey, let them know I'm on my way over to pick up the, uh, the order. Now, this was the Target that's over at uh, Hall and Shaner. If you've ever been there, this is like a massive parking lot. My gym's at the other side, so I start making my way across the parking lot, and as I'm getting towards the parking spots that are designated for the online pickups, I start to notice that every spot is full. Every spot. 26 pickup spots, not a single one was open. 
And so I decided to give Caitlin a call, let her know, hey, what, this is what's going on. I don't even know what to do at this point. So she pulls up her app and she looks and she sees there's a message that says, just if there's no spots available, find a spot nearby and turn your hazards on. So to my horror, I looked up and I saw row after row of flashing hazard lights. It was far worse than the 26 spots being full. And so I finally find a spot. I get my hazard lights turned on. And then after an hour and a half of waiting, I finally am able to wave someone down, realize that they skipped over our order, and they came out and brought it out. But there's something about the craziness of a Target parking lot during the holiday season that reflects our culture so well. There are seasons of life in which we can be so consumed with everything going on around us. If you've ever been shopping during the Christmas season, you can see that. People become so consumed with the things around them. And the same thing is true of our own lives. There are times where we become so consumed with all the earthly things going on around us. I know for myself that when I become too consumed with all the little things going on in my life, whether it's the homework assignment due or the the project I'm trying to get done or it's the get-togethers I have to make it to, I start to see anxiety kind kind of start to creep in on me. Now, being good stewards of the life God has given us is important. But as followers of Christ, it's also extremely important that we view our lives through a different lens. And that's what Paul's recognizing here today in our passage. He recognizes that it becomes easy to look at earthly ambitions, earthly pursuits, and allow them to overstep their purpose and place in our lives. And when that happens, the Christian, as Paul's going to show, can oftentimes become more earthly than Christ-like. You could say a life like this even kind of produces a certain kind of odor. There's something about odors that can really captivate the senses, am I right? Say you're walking through your neighborhood on a summer afternoon, and it's getting towards dinner time, and you can smell someone grilling steaks in the neighborhood, and that smell comes, and and it catches your nose, and you think, wow, that's what I want for dinner. Or maybe you're leaving work, and you're walking through the parking lot, and you have to pass that nasty dumpster out there, and you can smell the trash that's been ruminating in there. And that nasty smell is going to maybe put a pep in your step to get past the trash can and get into your car. And so for better or worse, smells, these things capture our attention. And so my question for you this morning is, what kind of odor is your life exuding today? Is it a heavenly one or is it a worldly one. And so in our text, Paul is going to give us two ways in which our lives can produce a heavenly aroma. He's going to give us two ways in which our lives can produce a heavenly aroma. Look back, starting in verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So Paul here is beginning this next section by taking the theological argument that he's built, and he's leading it into uh, a practical application. 
right? He's, he's recognized the issues within the Colossian church. He's built a theological argument against those false teachings. And now he's taking it to a place where what do you do with this? Because it's important for us to notice that there's a shift from theology to practice. And it's important also for us to recognize that theology is informing practice, right? Good theology should always inform practice. Good theology should always lead us to do something. This is why Paul starts in verse 1 by saying that since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, he is affir- what he's doing here is affirming that this, this argument he's made about the fullness of Christ is what's going to inform our lives. And we can see it to be true about all of our lives, that the theology that we receive, the, the foundation for our lives, informs what we're going to do. So often we see preachers today getting up and simply giving inspirational speeches. And then once, once that happens, we see people not being able to defend the faith that's been passed down. We, we believe that uh, a good theology should always inform practice. And a good theology then is important. And so Paul has is, is laid this foundation and he's affirming the work of Christ as everything that we need for the Christian life. Paul says previously in the previous chapter, in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, You have died with Christ and he set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. Now what Paul's doing is he's acknowledging that those who have died with Christ will also rise with Christ. Paul is drawing from his theology and showing us that the motivation, the very motivation for our lives is rooted in our identity in Christ. And so this morning, if you have your faith in Jesus, that his death and resurrection has given you life, that this is the very core of your identity being made new. The encouragement that Paul is giving us is that we should have assurance in our identity as God's children and that the life to come is the motivation for the life that we live now. Additionally, we begin to see that God gives us opportunities to participate in the work for his kingdom in many different ways. And when we see these opportunities, we should get excited for the opportunities that God is opening up to participate in his eternal plans. Look back at verse 3, he says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so Paul is saying that the person you were before Christ has died, is gone, no longer is there. And this has real implications about how you go forward. Your life should have the aroma of Jesus. The things that motivate the world should not then be our motivators. Because for our lives to be hidden in Christ, such a beautiful phrase, hidden in Christ. We are found in him, not just with him, but in him. And so to be hidden in Christ means that we are to live as Christ lived. Five years ago, I started a job at a big corporation. One of the big selling points for this job was the fact that they promoted within. And so everything I did in that first position I got hired for was, with, uh, was strategic because I had much greater aspirations than that job, than that position I got hired in for. Slowly but surely, I began to rise up and get jobs better and better positions, and eventually I got to the doorstep of the opportunity I really wanted. I interviewed it uh, for the job. It was, it was the job I thought it was. It was a respectable job with good pay. 
Well, after I interviewed, I found out that a colleague of mine also interviewed for it, and immediately I got a little discouraged because I recognized he was much more qualified for the position than I was. So while it stung a little bit when I found out that he got the position, it, it made sense. Six months later, though, that same guy received another promotion. And so my excitement goes up because guess what? Position's back open. This is, this is mine. I feel it. And so I go through the interview process. Great interview. I feel like I've totally got this thing in the bag. But guess what? I didn't. And so I didn't get the job. The job ended up going to another person who had a close relationship with the hiring manager's superior. I was furious because I recognized that this person was not as qualified as me. And so I became somewhat bitter and angry that I, I didn't get it. And so I, I just took the next promotion that came my way. But when I look back at it, I can, I can see that there was an issue with my motivations. Because it's not wrong, don't, don't hear me wrong here, it's not wrong to want to grow in your company. It's not wrong to want to cultivate the, these things in our lives. But is it the ultimate goal? Is the cultivation, is, the, is that growth in and of itself the ultimate goal of our efforts? When we set, as Paul's telling us, to set our, things, our mind on the things above, as we set our minds on the things above, our hard work in life becomes much more than the temporary rewards we receive. It becomes more than being able to buy that nice house or to get that promotion or to uh, get that new car. To put our, our minds on Christ means that everything we do is to his glory and for his purposes. In the end, we recognize that the greatest reward is to share in the glory of Christ when all things are said and done. And so when you start to look at these other temporary things, these earthly things that Paul's talking about, the things that we oftentimes put so much stock into, you start to see that in and of themselves, they can't offer anything. A promotion, a nice car, a new house, those things in and of themselves offer us nothing. But when we can see clearly that what we're striving for in Christ is so much greater then the lens in which we see everything else becomes clear, that the things that God blesses us with have a whole other purpose. They serve to the greater purpose of Christ. That house becomes a place in which we can serve Christ. That job is a place now where we can testify to his goodness in our lives. Those things that we receive are just another reason for us to praise him for his generosity to us. And the things that captivate the world, the things that hold on so tight to our attention, the things that you watch the earth, uh, the, the, the people of the world who are outside of Christ, the things that they are so consumed with, when our minds are set on Christ, when we find ourselves truly in him, we're free. We're free from it. We're free from putting our faith in things that fade away, where moths and rust destroy. Look back with me at verse 5. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds and put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ 
is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. And so the first way in which we can, our lives can produce a heavenly aroma is by cleansing ourselves of the world, by cleansing ourselves of the world. We see that Paul takes a heavy attack here on earthly things. As we've seen, Paul is putting a heavy emphasis also on Christians living in their new reality, being found in Christ. That, that first section, it's, hey, Christian, remember the argument we made about the fullness of Christ. Find yourself in him because you are in him. And now we are to live in that new reality. What does that look like? What is it to look like to live with Christ as our life's focus? What's the first step in making our world? It, uh, then our first step is to rid ourselves of our earthly, worldly desires that would hold us back. This is the first step in making Christ the priority. To do this, there has to be some serious and honest introspection because oftentimes as humans, we can just go throughout life feeling like everything is just going the way it's supposed to be. But as we pursue Christ, we should consistently be looking for what is counter-Christ-like in our hearts, looking to strip those things away, to cleanse ourselves. Remember, what Paul's doing is he's talking to the Colossian church. He's talking to Christians, very much like what we're doing this morning. We're talking to Christians, and he recognizes that Christians can also allow sin to seep in and to take root and have a place in our lives. And so we have to survey our hearts and find these counter-Christ-like desires that we might have, that might exist in there. And Paul addresses these desires and what they can be referred to as a vice list. These are often referred to as vice lists. The first vice list reflects the personal sins that take root in our hearts. And he lists these sins. They include sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. The final sin that Paul lists here is best translated as covetousness. This word is the best translation because it really summarizes this first list of vices that Paul is providing. Because what these vices show is that what the heart really wants, what the heart's consumed, up for, consumed by, what it's hungry for. It's hungering for something that can't satisfy, and it's not hungering for Christ. And that's the thing with sin. Sin leads us away from Christ, and so we start to see our passions become more worldly than Christ-like. And so if these are left unaddressed, if these desires that could be possibly lurking in our hearts, things that we're unaware of, that maybe we're just, we have blind spots to. Those sins can lead a person to do what is necessary to fulfill those desires. I mean, unfortunately, we see too often even pastors fall from grace. Pastors who are caught in sin, whether it's an affair, whether it's a, a drinking problem, whether it's something like this. I mean, that's, that's why Paul is making such a, a heavy admonition because don't just believe because you've made it somewhere. Somehow your heart is just automatically protected from sin. No, we have to find ourselves in Christ, root ourselves in Christ to put off these things. And so the second list of, vice, of vices that Paul gives us reveals sin that actually break down unity within the body of Christ. Each of these sins reflects the destructive nature of the tongue. I mean, the tongue can do terrible damage, and even so in the church. Oftentimes you can hear people's testimonies, I left this church because this happened to me. And so we can see that the tongue can cause massive destruction. We see the same destruction described in James 3.6. James says, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole fire, for it is set on fire 
by hell itself. Wow. By hell itself. The fires of hell set the tongue on fire. I mean, that, that gives, that gives a, an idea of how great the destruction our tongues can produce then. And I wonder if at times we fail to recognize how powerful our speech can be. In these lists, Paul shows that the presence of worldliness, of earthly desires and sins, not only has the ability to wreak havoc in the person's own life, but also in the life of the church and the wholeness of our community. Think about something with me for a second here. Say you start making, it's a new year, and say you start making a plan that you're going to start working out before you go to work. You get up an extra hour early, you head to the gym, and you get a good workout in right? You, you really sweat it up and you head back to the locker room and you're standing there and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I don't need a shower today. And so what you do is you pull out your work clothes, you throw them on, you hop in the car and you head to work. Let me ask, how long do you think it'll take for someone to recognize the funk coming off of you? Right? We're talking about smell being something that can alert the senses. Right? I mean, you, I would probably bet, would be the first person to recognize that funk sitting there just ruminating in it. As you start talking to people, you'll start noticing they're taking a step back from you as they're talking to you, right? And we fail to miss that this is the smell or odor that comes off Christians that refuse to recognize sin in their lives and do something about it. Because we can put on our nice clothes, our church clothes, but if we still have the spiritual stink on us, it will begin to personally affect us and those around us. But what Paul's telling us here is that not only has Christ paid for our sins, but he has freed us from our sins. We have the ability to get in the spiritual shower and wash off the spiritual stink, right? Jesus overcame death through his death and resurrection, and he broke the death grip of sin. The world becomes consumed with this kind of foul odor. We can see it all around us, the things that they prioritize. And they love this odor just like Oscar the Grouch living in his trash can, right? He loves that stinky trash. But when Christ comes into our lives and renews us by his spirit, we begin to see it for what it is, what the world is offering, trash, and it becomes stinky. And so why would we want to put that back on us? Christ, the preeminent one, has given us the freedom Remember Paul's argument in Colossians 1.15. Christ is the preeminent one. And through his death and resurrection, he has freed us from the bondage of sin. And so that's why Paul's telling us to cleanse ourselves of the world and put on what he calls our new nature. He says put on our new nature. We can rid ourselves of that putrid aroma. Um, look back with me in verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. And so the second way we see this morning in which our lives can produce a heavenly aroma is by putting on our new nature, by putting on our new nature. So Paul shifts from showing us what it means to cleanse ourselves of our old nature, our old way of living, 
And now he is telling us to put on our new nature. And so what does this consist of? Well, if to cleanse ourselves of our old nature is to put away earthly things, earthly pursuits, the things that the world is consumed with, then we are to see that putting our mind on the things above is to put our new nature on. Those things above that, that, that Paul's talking about in the first few verses. Christ and the new reality that he has ushered in. These are the things that should consume the Christian life. When Christ becomes motivation, we begin to exude, a, exude Christ to those around us. And so how does Paul describe this new nature? Well, what he says is, it's to clothe yourself with tender-hard mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. This is the sweet-smelling aroma of heaven. This is the aroma as we make Christ the focus as Christ becomes our all in all, this is what we exude to those around us. These are the fruits of the Christian life. Paul says in Galatians 5.22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so a life that is submitted to the will of God and is earnestly seeking his spirit to work in their lives, seeking the Holy Spirit's work and transforming us, that life produces goodness. And so if you compare the list that Paul gives here of what it means to put on the new nature, and you compare it onto those lists, those two vice lists that Paul gives about the old nature, you're going to see that those are complete opposites. Complete opposites. And so putting it on the new nature means that you find your fullness in Christ, not only for salvation, but for life itself. And what we see is that as we put that on, as we put on the new nature, and we find that peace in ourselves, we find peace within our community because as we see, we, we begin to give allowance for each other's faults. We move to forgiveness. Paul, where Paul rebukes the use of the tongue for destruction, he encourages the use of our tongues for building one another up. You know, he uses that, uh, that image of the, the fire from hell, right? Again, powerful, powerful image there about the destruction that comes from the tongue. But I also like to think about the fact that fire itself can also be a refining fire. Our tongues can be used something, uh, something to build one another up, to strengthen the body. As, we, as fire refines gold, it makes it pure, it makes it, it makes it whole. And so the same thing is true in our community as we allow the Spirit to come in to our lives, we begin to find a peace and unity, a love that binds us together. We're going to move from anger and move towards forgiveness. It's in these simple ways that we can become more like Jesus and produce this heavenly aroma. Going back to our workout idea, you've got to the gym, you put that, that hard workout in, you're all sweating. This time you stop and you say, you know what? I need a shower. And you get in the shower and you clean yourself. You, you wash. And then not only that, after you get done with the shower, you comb your hair and you, you put a little bit of perfume or a cologne on. And, and not only will you enjoy that cleanness, but those around you 
will enjoy it as well, and they will notice. Right? They will see that. And, the Christ, and, and so, Christian, this aroma is the aroma that we put off as we strive to be like Christ, as we put on this new nature. And this doesn't mean that we're trying to seek favor with God. We're not trying to earn uh, good standing with him. It's that Christ has given us the freedom to do this. Right? We get to put away the things of the earth. We don't have to be consumed with, what am I going to do at retirement? What am I gonna do this? I'm not saying don't plan. Not, again, uh, we're to be good stewards. But I watch people give their lives to things. And we just have to remember that our, li- our, our lives are but a, a vapor in the air here today and gone tomorrow. And Christ, being in him, has freed us from having to worry about tomorrow. We don't have to worry about the next thing we're going to get. We can trust that God is going to provide. He is our good shepherd. We, we do not have any want. And so we see that Jesus has freed us to live in this way, to put on our new nature. The whole, his Holy Spirit living inside of us stirs up this desire to rid of ourselves of that stink and to put off a heavenly Christ-like aroma. And he gives us the ability to do that. When Christ is the focus, when Christ is the priority, our lives will reflect it. And just like a sweet aroma, it will capture people's senses around you. People at work will notice. People at school will notice. People in your family will notice. They will see that there is something different about what you pursue, where your heart is, the things that you are passionate, passionate about. You'll stand out. And God could use that aroma to draw people to himself. I, can, I can't help but think about um, those old-time cartoons when they take, you know, those black and white cartoons. They take the pie, right, and they set it down on the windowsill and to cool. And then the steam starts coming off of it. But then that steam, it's not going to stay there. He's got a mission, and it's going to go... And it's going to find that unsuspecting person and go right up in their nose and pull them back to the pie, right? Where they inevitably burn themselves because it's still hot, right? That is what that sweet aroma of heaven does. That Christ-like aroma that we put off when we are pursuing him. It can be that, that pull. Wow, there's something different about you. There's something just pleasant. There's something I want, And as we pursue Christ, that is what we are doing. We can draw people to him. And if Christ is the goal in our lives, it will be inevitable that Christ will surface in our lives. If our job becomes something in which we seek to honor and glorify him in, it will be inevitable that Christ surfaces in that. If school is something that we are dedicating our mind to cultivate it, to God's honor, it is inevitable that people will see that and they will know. Reality is when Christ is the priority, people will see him in our lives in all these various areas. When we live this way, we will also see our church flourish. Right? And, you know, it's, it's not hard to see that so many churches have come into a consumer culture. It's easy to come in and consume and just receive. But when Christ becomes the priority, this community becomes a place in which we see that he could be glorified through us individually, each one of you sitting here this morning. As Paul says, we will see this love 
love of Christ bind us together in perfect harmony. You know, many families have dysfunction. Looking around here, I know many families have dysfunction. I'm just kidding. Uh, I know my family has dysfunction, and the church family is no different. We have dysfunction. You know, some of us have, you know, that crazy uncle. Pastor Tyler's our crazy uncle, right? You know? And so, but what we see is that as we seek to make Christ the priority and exude this, again, Christ aroma and coming together and doing that, we will put off something to the world that is attractive and beautiful and Christ honoring. This starts by every member of Fos Church seeking each day to make Christ the priority. If we do, then we will see this being evidence in the way that we love one another, in the way that we serve one another. And it is this kind of life that produces a heavenly Christ-like aroma. So look with me at our final two verses, starting in verse 16. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Again, looking back to what we see in those early chapters, Paul gives us what we would call this high Christology. If you're going through foundations right now, you're going to recognize that word. But this, this high view of Jesus, this high theology of Jesus. And what he shows us in chapter 2 is, hey, there's these things that these false teachers are putting in your way. These are the things that are consuming your life right now. Christ is the preeminent one, and he is over those things, and those things have no value in them. It is Christ. Christ is all in all. And what we see here in verse 16, let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Christians, let it fill our lives this morning. Let it be the joy spring that springs forth out of us. Think to that image, that image that Paul has given, that theology that he's given us. That's what he's drawing from here. That message he's talking about is this message he's given at the beginning of this letter. Christ is all in all. Christ satisfies like nothing else can satisfy. Christ is the only one who satisfies. Everything comes from Christ. He is all in all. And so that should be exciting for us this morning, those of us in Christ, that this is our motivation for life. You get to leave out of here today and make plans and do all these things, and you can free yourself from any anxiety that these things have because at the end of the day, all of these things in our lives should be seeking to honor and glorify Jesus. And when that's the goal, all these other anxieties start to go away. But also, we have the privilege of being Christ's representatives to a broken world. That's what he tells us here. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father, we get the, that's why I say we get the privilege of being Christ representatives to the world. I know at times it's hard. We, become so consu- we can be consumed with everything going on around us. Christian, you get to be the representative of the preeminent Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. You get to be his representative to the world. And so as you sit here this morning, I just want you to consider something. How are you being his representative today? 
is your life producing that sweet heavenly aroma, that Christ-like aroma to those around you. It can be easy to become consumed with earthly things. That's why Paul's instructing his audience, his Christian audience, to not fall into the trap. And it's a trap that we all easily can fall into ourselves. Again, making plans is a good thing, but we cannot become consumed with them. We have to protect our motivations. Because if not, we might become more consumed with the world than with Christ. And this will allow sin to begin to creep in and take root. And so the best way for us to prepare ourselves, the best way for you to prepare yourself for success in the Christian life is to allow God to fill your life with the good news of Jesus. Allow the gospel to inform everything you do. As we see here, as he instructs us in these previous passages, it's the gospel that would lead us to forgive others because Christ has forgiven us. Allow the gospel to be your motivation. Remember the joy of your salvation today, that you are loved by the heavenly Father who would send his son to die at Calvary for you. As we sing that his hands bear redemption on the story of redemption, those nail-pierced hands for you and me, and those have freed us from death and sin. What amazing liberation that we get to live in. It's freedom True freedom. Everything else now serves him. This, when we, when we step into this and we live our lives in Christ, we will produce joy-filled hearts and thankful hearts. That's why he says here, giving thanks through him to God our Father. As we allow the gospel to inform what we do and inform everything about us, we can't help but be thankful. You know, we lost our power last night. That stinks, especially when it's this cold. And you got babies. And that is a challenge. But I was talking about it with my, my brother John this morning, you know, just even recognizing that we have electricity is such a, a blessing in and of itself. And, and just starting to realize that all of these things, there's these good things that come from God that we don't have to put all of our assurance or our comfort or these things in the world. But at the end of the day, God provides for us. And so we get to see that and live in that freedom where you lose power, you lose a job. It's not to say that those things aren't hard. But at the end of the day, Christ has freed you to not be held down by those things. But you get to walk in liberation in him. Let that be your joy today. Whatever you're going through, I'm looking at you, every one of you this morning, and I know we're going through stuff as people. We're, going, we're all going through our own struggles today. Remember your salvation. Remember the, the God who loves you so deeply that he would send his son to die for you, that he would condescend to our level, becoming, putting on flesh and die on the cross, a humiliating death for you. And remember how much he, love he has for you. Allow that joy to ruminate in your hearts and that will lead you to produce that heavenly aroma. You won't be consumed with those other things. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never truly noticed or really truly appreciated what the, how stinky what the world is offering is, right? You've never realized how putrid it is, but now you're smelling that sweet aroma of God's grace in Jesus and you say, I want that. Just like that pie drawn, drawing that person in, that, that, the sweet aroma of God's grace in Jesus is drawing you this morning in a way that it never has, I want you to know that this grace is available to you right now. 
simply if you would acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. You will be liberated from the bondage of sin and death. You will be liberated from the things of the earth that would hold you down and lead you into despair. You too then will be able to put on this beautiful new nature that Paul talks about. You too will be able to then produce this heavenly Christ-like aroma. Let's pray.